everybody. My guest today is Abby Wright. Abby and I share a fondness for the number three. You know, we met in the meeting places where people like us meet. We both have a very, very similar background, industry background. And the thing where we divert is that she got sober during COVID. What an incredible story. So listen in right now as she talks about what it was like, what happened, and she talks about today. That's up next on season three of Recovery Talks. And by the way, find us at recoverytalks.org, recoverytalks.org. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. So welcome, everybody, to Recovery Talks, the podcast. This is the third season we're doing this. And my guest today, it's such an honor for me. Welcome, Abby Wright, everybody, all our listeners. Hi, Abby. Hi. I don't know a great deal about Abby, but I feel this energy like we come from the same tribe. And um, there's three things I know about you. We met in meeting places where people like us meet and kind of hang out, you know, and also you have kind of a similar industry background, both these shows. We live that life sometimes of traveling and living life on the road. And the, the third thing, which really, truly amazes me that we talked about briefly was that you got sober during COVID. And that is, I think, the most amazing thing to me. But you kind of just said, you know, it was kind of the right thing and it worked for me. So before we get started and do all the things, my intention with this is that I want to hold up lanterns to people that are making it and show people in and out of the recovery community that guess what? People do make it and that it is possible to recover from alcohol and addictions. And, you know, not just people that are dealing with the addiction, also people that may be curious about being sober. Maybe they've kicked it around a little bit. Maybe they've got a friend that's being, that is sober right now. And they kind of go, wow, that person looks really different, really happy. And I, I just think that it's really important for us to just kind of talk about what it's like for us on the other side of who we used to be. So before we start that, Abby Wright, Tell me what it was like for you before you got sober. You know, I think it's interesting how you talk about, you know, and a lot of people are saying, wow, you got sober during this pandemic. That's crazy being isolated. And, you know, and for me, honestly, I don't think that I would have gotten sober without this pandemic. You either break down or you break through. And and I broke down in the beginning of this pandemic and you know, that was a part of my whole breakdown throughout my addictions. And then I was nearly dying and my body was shutting down. And so I was forced to really look at, you know, my choice in the matter of, do I just let this thing win or do I make a change? And for me, I've been, you know, always surrounded by recovery and especially in the last decade, a little more than a decade, um, my mom got into a 12-step program and she recovered from some of her addictions. And looking at her and the way that she changed her life showed me that there was a different way to live, that I didn't have to live sort of as a prisoner to that mindset of 
run away, run away. And coming through, you know, the last nine months of recovering from addictions and alcoholism and all kinds of things, to be perfectly honest, because as an addict, that's just how my brain works. I mean, it's you're addicted to anything. Yeah, give me that dopamine. Give me the dopamine. Yeah, I want it all. Exactly, what is it? Exactly. What is it? <laughs> love me, love me, accept me, accept me. You know, mm, who mm. am I? You know, I'll try on this skin. I'll try on that skin. I can be whoever you want me to be. And it just got really tiring. You know, the drugs worked for a while until they didn't work anymore, until they became that downfall for me until they became the inevitable death of me. Coming through the industry and and finding that part of myself and finding a giant part of my identity in, you know, working shows and, you know, being a technician on the road and, and bringing, you know, the sense of magic to the world. Not having that for the last, what has it been now, 15 months? has been a really big shock to the system. And so I was sitting there, you know, left with only myself, and I don't know who I am without any of that, you know? And I couldn't handle it. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize how neat and tight it is for us when we're traveling. We live in a bag. Right. And our whole world is in that little, all our talismans, all our traditions, all the things that we do. And we really adopt the family we're working with. That can be a really positive thing if we have role models like you were talking about. And it can also be that nagging little thing that just every day is trying to beat us. You know, that person around us that's saying, dude, come on, man, check it out. Or like when I when we get to that city, man, I know somebody that's gonna do the thing and the thing and and you know you and even if you're trying not to do the thing, your brain starts going to like oh well, we, when we get there, I, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? What am I gonna do? Am I gonna be good? Am I gonna? So I totally understand what you're talking about about being able to have an uninterrupted break and be able to say okay. Now it's about me. I'm going to work on me. So leading up to that point, though, I always say that there was lots of road signs for me to read. I happen to be a type 2 diabetic, right? And so maybe drinking straight vodka for seven or eight straight days and not eating anything but maybe like a Burger King chicken sandwich, that might have been a a sign to me that I might have had an issue. ICU three times. Hmm. Let's see, Mark. Do you think you have a problem? But I kept thinking, I, me, I could fix this. You know, maybe I'll do this or I'll do that or or I'll stay away from that person. I won't. uh, 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 What what was it like for you? I mean, when you're out and there's people using and you don't want to use, that's really hard. That's really hard. They're your family. Right. And it's it's very much so a part of that world. You know, I think everybody on the road is is kind of running away from something to a certain extent. Um, the show and the gig is so involved that you don't really have the opportunity to think about anything outside of the show and outside of one place to the next, outside of loading in the show, outside of doing the show, outside of loading out that show. And then you have a few hours as a person on the back end of things, you have a few hours to sort of wind down, maybe sleep um, and do it all over again. 
And so we're, we're not afforded that um, ability to sort of introspect uh, into ourselves as individuals. We're very much so a collective. And for me, over the course of the last few years, I was winding up in hospitals, you know, off the road is mainly when this would happen to me because I didn't have those responsibilities. I didn't have that tie to the show. I didn't have that thing that generated me to keep going and to, to focus and to, you know, put my obsessions into something, you know, of structure. Um, so when I came off the road, I would inevitably end up drinking a lot, using drugs, um, you know, and it just became this, this off time sort of, I don't even know what to call it, a, a surrender to those demons inside of myself. And they took over and, and ending up in the hospital due to severe dehydration. I was puking so much that it was coming from my liver all the way up. Yeah. So like I, I was ruining, you know, my esophagus, my, my gastrointestinal tract, all this stuff. And, you know, the doctor would look at me and be like, so how much do you drink? And I'd be like, I really don't drink that much. I swear, I don't drink that much. It's got to be something else, you know? And it's, you know, I have people in the room like, uh, yeah. yeah, you do, it's, but it's, you do. And uh, I couldn't ever admit to the things that I was doing because I couldn't see those things. I couldn't, I couldn't relinquish that sense of control because as you mentioned before, you know, I, I needed to control all of these things. And I think that's the big draw to being in the industry is there's all of these aspects going on at one time that you need to keep into control for this show to go off successfully. And, and I think that's where I thrive in that industry. Now with addiction, you don't really thrive like that for very long. You know, it does end up taking over you. It takes over a lot of us. And, and you either, again, have that choice to break down or break through. Um, so when everything shut down, I was afforded that, that gift of surrender and that gift of depletion and the gift of desperation to really look at it and go, okay, this isn't working anymore. I'm dying. I, I have way too much to do. There's too much left inside of me to accomplish. I have actual dreams that I don't want to be ripped away from me. I don't, I don't want to give up. And, and that's sort of when I found myself on this path of recovery. I think I told you I'm in the studio right now doing a record and I was talking to somebody that's not in any sort of addiction recovery program and I could barely get it out when I said it, but I said to them, I said, if you'd have told me eight years ago, because I'm sober six years, six months and three days right now, right? If you'd have told me eight years ago, I'm on my seventh year, lucky seven. If you'd have told me eight years ago that I'd be standing in this studio cutting a vocal track for my second record sober, I would have bet against you. And that's almost hard for me to get out because I'm still struck with emotion about it. You know, I would just didn't believe it was ever going to change. I had tried everything, everything. And as creatives, you know, we can't imagine a life without relinquishing ourselves to, to those sort of avenues of the mind of like, well, I need to get high to tap into this type of creativity or I need to 
put myself under submission for this type of creativity. You know, we, we really think that we need those sort of demons to, to thrive. And, you know, it's, it becomes this battle, you know, as a creative myself and in other avenues, it became this battle and, and I don't want it. I don't think that it really has to be that difficult, you know? No, it's still the same. The engine, the creator, the power that comes not from me, but through me is the same. It's not as pure when I'm under the influence of something. And and I didn't have the confidence and I didn't have the true authentic creative source coming through me. So I know for me, there was a sort of circling down the drain moment where I ended up in actually St. Thomas Hospital in Akron, Ohio. And I'm in the detox ward, which I until COVID and we're just starting up again, I was able to get up there every Monday night and I had a moment, right? And that moment spoke to me of where the path was, what was going to be happening. And, and autobiographically, that path was, you got to figure it out and come back into this ward and tell people how to do it. That's what you're supposed to do. And that was a light going on to me. And even though I didn't get there right away because I still was messed up and I had some some issues after that while I was figuring out you know, the whole post-acute withdrawal thing and the brain starting to work again because my brain didn't work. It just wasn't working again. I couldn't remember. I couldn't talk. I was anxious. I was afraid. I, I just couldn't do anything. But is there anything you can tell our listeners about your experience? Was there a, a place where you felt like, okay, I made the turn. There we go. I know where to go now. There's the path. The lantern was held up for you. Is there any place? Definitely. And it was actually in this room. Um, uh, I'm in Minneapolis and I had just gotten back from a trip uh, out on the East Coast in New York City. And I was really drinking hard, really drinking hard. And I was in my bed in this room and feeling my entire body shutting down. And my mom being who she is in my life as this role model of, of recovery and this and that, I, I started to type out a text message to her. And it took me about five minutes just bawling my eyes out, you know, writing this message. Hi, my name is Abby and I'm an addict. And as soon as I hit send, it was like this weight just lifted off my shoulders of just finally like succumbing to that part of myself and and really realizing that that's a part of who I am and a part of how I'm wired. And that surrender to that beast, uh, so to speak. And, and the, the longer I'm in recovery, the less of a beast it is. And it, it really is the most beautiful thing that's ever happened to me because I get to sit here with people like yourself and with many people uh, across the country and across the world and have all these beautiful conversations of these revelations internally that are happening to, like you said, that word, that, that key word, authentic you know, that authentic sense of self and this, this inner generated sense of self-love that gives me an unshakable foundation to approach the world in the fact that I am an addict. Being able to put those things aside, the fear of being an addict, feeling like I was put in a box because of this addiction, you know, over the last nine and a half years, 
I've been trying to control this thing, like maybe if I drink this, or maybe if I use this drug, or maybe if just a little bit, or maybe, you know, you have all these different formulas to try and find that sort of equilibrium of like, this is where I can use. It doesn't ever work for me because it's not enough. Whatever it is, isn't enough for me. You know, Abby, for me, it was two things. People asked me, how did you know? How did you know you were an alcoholic or an addict? And I said, it was two things for me. Number one, I would tell myself, I'm not going to do it today. And I would, with every bit of my whole being, believe I'm not going to do it today. I'm not. And then I couldn't not do it. Sooner or later, I couldn't not do it. As, as a matter of fact, I knew exactly how long it took me to get to the state liquor agency and what time I had to leave my house before they closed, 9.42 p.m. And if I left any later than that, I had to take the back streets and run through stop signs to be able to get there on time. And the second thing is, and this was the cure, is once I started, that was it. There wasn't any, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have a drink on the way there, and then I'm going to get some food, and then I'm going to go home, and I'm going to work on that guitar thing. I've been no, no. First drink, gone. That was how it was for me as well. And I think for a lot of people, um, you know, it's this obsession in your mind to sort of let go or I don't exactly even know how to describe it. But as soon as I put a substance in my mind, my brain goes, absolutely, I want more. That's it. More, more, more. To be able to not think like that anymore is pretty incredible. Um, do you remember the first time you felt that feeling? Because I do. I was living in L.A., Right. And I was watching a friend of mine's uh, place who was a photographer and he had gone uh, on a shoot and said, hey, dude, watch my place. And oh, by the way, um, I've got an eight ball of Coke in there. Just don't leave me something on the way home. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do that, dude. I'll leave you some. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. And I kept coming back to that house two o'clock in the morning four o'clock in the morning the next day, you know, thought about, well, what if I, I got to find something. And it was a nightmare to me. And that was the first time I ever remember completely out of control, completely out of control, had no choice of the matter, none. And that's that thing, um, you know, it's a disease. Addiction is, it, there's a great stigma against addiction. And it's really hard for a lot of people to talk about, which is, it's a sad thing, um, but I think these days there's a lot of awareness being generated um, over what happens in the brain. Um, and we do lose that ability to make a decision. Once we you know, open those floodgates, mm. it's game on and, and you just go for it. Um, for me, cocaine was a hell of a drug, you know what I mean? And it made me feel like superwoman and I could drink all night long and this was even after, when I was 18 years old, I had a mild heart attack um, because of an overdose of cocaine. Um, but that wasn't enough. Like there's all these warning signs. You were talking about warning signs. There's never enough. There's never enough. 
You know what I mean? And you know, we do crazy things like four o'clock in the morning. Let's call the man. He'll be up. It's okay. It's okay. He'll, you know, no, he, he's my friend. I'm going to, you know, so. The thing too, there's always these false sense of friendships and oh, false man. sense of identity. And, you know, I, I'll go out to a place and, and have some food or whatever. And I'll see people sitting at a bar and they look so intertwined with like, they're a part of something. And I'm like, but what are they really a part of? Like, they're just sitting on a bar stool. You know what I mean? And for me personally, I don't want to be sitting on that same bar stool 10 years from now, 20 years from now, doing the same thing over and over, you know, practicing that insanity and trying to hide from who I am. I think there's a lot of fear in finding your your authenticity and finding your own person, especially in this day and age, you know, there's so many different versions you could be. Honestly, I'm just tired. I just want to be myself. You're doing such a good job. And you know, the other thing too is, is there's so many of us on the other side of it now. I was just talking to a friend of mine who, who's from Cleveland. I won't mention his name, but he's a, I mean, super big league manager talent and i kind of mentioned to him the other day i said yeah you know i you know i'm sober now he goes dude i got 36 years and if and i'm like you have 36 years crazy and i know some of the people he's managed and these are like dude how do you stay managed managing that guy how do you how do you stay sober he goes oh i couldn't do it without being sober you know but it's it's just the best you know as we start turning down because i want you to tell me about what it's like for you today? Where are you today? Things are starting to maybe look like, I know here in the state of Ohio, we're starting to get ready to start. I'm I'm noticing shows are starting to be announced again. I had to make some adjustments when I went back out to start doing what I was doing, but I felt like, you know, I, I knew what to do because I had a good toolbox and that toolbox carried with me and people say to me oh dude aren't you really afraid and do your show like no you don't understand i can't wait to get back out and work and be this person and doing that work right and i totally know how you feel about that because you know i i think back to when i was using and working in the industry and there were so many mornings waking up and having to take like an 800 milligram ibuprofen just to like get out of bed or you know whatever because you can't do anything before you go to the gig right just trying to get a hold on a sweating out the alcohol from the night before you know all this stress and anxiety that you, you you wake up and you look at your phone. Who did I talk to? What did I say? Did I do anything wrong? Did I, you know what I mean? There's just like all of this the, chaos. The, the texting I, is the I, worst. Oh, no. I texted that. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Did no, I really? No, oh, man. No. And so to be able to go back to that world that is is so overwhelming as it is um, to a certain degree and not have all of my personal chaos attached to it, I think is going to be really exciting. There's a small amount of fear and I think it's a healthy amount of fear for me, you know, going back to a world where it's pretty saturated in, in different substances and this and that. Here's the thing we can say though, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. Right. You know, I don't have to do that anymore. and and. You know, I don't need to explain myself to anybody. All I 
honestly, I say, trust me, it's better this way. Uh, you don't want to see me the other way. You know, a lot of working the program that I'm working, I'm afraid that that ego that I need to survive out there, uh, especially as a young female in, in a male-dominated world, I'm like, am I going to still be badass enough? Am I, you know what I mean? And I just had this revelation the other day and I was like, you know, in fact, I feel like I'm even more badass because I have my wits about me. I can remember what I do. I know who I am. And that takes a lot of really, really deep introspection work, which is the coolest part about being an addict. You know, you reach such darkness in yourself that when you come out on the other side, you're really able to to attach yourself to this. Okay, I see those dark corners. I don't have to go there anymore. I can shine this light on those scary parts of myself. And I don't have to be afraid of that. You know, I think I really attach to the story of which wolf are you going to feed, the dark wolf or the light wolf? And to a certain degree, I think you have to feed them both. Um, for me, I'm just trying to find this sort of balance in the gray zone. You've been working in the industry for a long time successfully. And something that I I, I can always say that I, because I've probably been down the road a little bit a little bit farther than you is somebody said to me once said imagine you're wearing a military uniform and imagine you have you know these hash drinks on your left forearm right he goes you see him do you see him i said yeah i see him he goes you earned them you earned them you know you know how to do what you're doing you know how to do it and you did it and you did it well and you are so badass now, you're going to even be way better than that. So as we close out, I like to just think about one thing. That I, I'm a big fan of the James Clear book, Atomic Habits. And he sends out this thing every Thursday. And I got it today. He said, the, the, the thing, the mantra today was the most reliable way to change life is not by changing your entire life, but in changing one habit, just one thing. You know. So for me, I'm going to tell you mine. You got 10 seconds to think about what yours is, okay? For me... It's embracing silence. You know, I just find the calm and the peace before I do anything. The other day in the studio, I asked everybody to can you just, I just need 15 seconds. Everybody just be silent for me. And I just was there and I absorbed it and I got strength, you know, from that silence. So as we close, Abby Wright, what would be the one thing, the one habit that you would carry with you today? What is the one thing? My breath. Um, I'm relearning how to breathe. I'm learning how to breathe in in reality and breathe out my fears. I think a lot of things can be carried throughout the breath um, and really finding that sense of myself, the true sense of self. And one day at a time, I can I can learn how to breathe a little bit easier. That's awesome. You know, I just want to thank our listeners for hanging with us for this edition of Recovery Talks. You can find us, uh, and my producer says, please remember to say this, okay? We're on recoverytalks.org. You can find all our episodes there, and it will link you to all the places we are, all the podcast formats. Our guest today was Abby Wright. Oh, everybody, please don't forget to subscribe, download, like, share, follow, all the cool things you can do to help this podcast get out so we can help other people. And until then, everybody, stay standing and steady on.